What is a friend? I will premise this by saying that I am a bit disappointed with the definition that I found online. According to Merriam-Webster, a friend is defined as one attached to another by affection or esteem, an acquaintance, one that is not hostile, one that is of the same nation, party, or group, one that favors or promotes something such as a charity, a favored companion, a person included in a list of one's designated connections on a social media service. Allow me to define a friend because I feel like none of these definitions capture what a friend means to me. A true friend is someone I can rely on, someone who will support me during the hard times and will celebrate me during the joyful times. A friend is delighted to see me, hear from me, and interact with me. A friend is someone I can trust and someone that inspires me to be better. This week, I don't want to just define a friend. I want to show you one. I am thrilled to be joined by June, one of my dearest and closest friends, and we will have a chat for you to hear an example of a friendship between two trauma survivors. Hi, I am Raisa, a survivor of narcissistic abuse, and I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and you are listening to Hello Trauma Brain, a podcast where I share my experiences living with complex PTSD. My hope is this podcast can help destigmatize mental health and provide support to anyone diagnosed with CPTSD who thinks they might have it or has a loved one with this diagnosis. Quick reminder, I am not a licensed psychologist or mental health care professional, and this podcast is not meant to replace nor substitute the care of psychologists, other mental or medical health care professionals. If you think you might have complex PTSD or PTSD, please reach out to your primary care or mental health care provider. Any individuals and resources mentioned in this episode are not sponsoring Hello Trauma Brain. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by this week's guest are solely their own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Hello Trauma Brain and the host. To protect the privacy of this week's guest, their name and any identifiable characteristic has been changed, altered, or removed. This episode may reference trauma or abuse, and listener discretion is advised. Remember, you can always pause or skip this episode at any time. And now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, dear survivors, and welcome back to this episode of Hello, Trauma Brain. Thank you for joining me today. If you are listening on YouTube, a gentle reminder to hit the like button to let me know this episode was helpful. Quick check-in. I took a bit of a risk this week and I had a hard conversation where I basically had to be honest with someone and it went well. Now I have on my memory bank an example of an experience where I can show up as myself and be honest and it doesn't blow up in my face. But I'm not going to lie, <laughs> it's still hard. It feels really hard for me to begin the conversation. And my body felt quite a disarray afterwards. It, it wasn't It wasn't a long-lasting a feeling, but I, I definitely recognized that my body was registering the alarm system um, mode. Like, I, I could feel in my body the programming of oh we did this thing now we have to prepare to experience the worst it was a healing moment for me to sit with that and notice how how used my body is to just go into trauma mode even if if nothing's happening at in the present so yeah that was a very interesting piece of information and I definitely felt a, a bit overwhelmed before hitting record today but but here I am. And today, 
I am just delighted to introduce a brand new series called Conversations with Friends. In today's episode, which is part one of this interview, I talk to June, who is not only a friend, but also chosen family. In this episode, we will talk about what it meant for June to be diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, the impact of learning that she was experiencing emotional flashbacks, and how we both feel about other people that can't see the abuse and trauma around them. June and I reflect on how important it is to lay a slow and mindful foundation when creating a new friendship from scratch. I shared with June the reason I did not connect with her sooner, which I can't believe I had not disclosed before, and so much more. I invite you to sit back, cozy up, and enjoy this conversation with June. Well, welcome, June, and thank you for joining me for this conversation today. You are our second guest for the podcast and the first guest on this brand new series called Conversations with Friends. Uh, Fellow survivors, I am so excited for you to meet June, who is an educator, a mother, fellow survivor, and a chosen sister and friend for this host right here. Thank you so much Ooh. again, June, for being here. <laughs> How Dang, are you? I'm so excited. Thank you. Yes, I'm I'm good. I I can't believe I'm finally on your podcast. I I'm thrilled to have you and and for anyone listening, uh, uh June is someone who actually was a crucial aspect of how this podcast got created. Uh, you've been a cheerleader since day one and and June, you you heard test episodes, you heard me freaking out about it. And I, I feel like without voices like yours, I would have never done this. So thank you so much. Gosh, well, you, you did it on your own, sister. But I'm, I'm glad to have been witness to the journey and a cheerleader. It's, it's so incredible to see your creative process from start to fruition. And to then to be on, on it is just, it's wild. <laughs> It is well, very, very fitting, I have to say. <laughs> yes. So, June, I I kind of want this to be a, a conversation between us. So I don't have a ton of questions. It's going to be more of a, a flow between us. And I, I was hoping for you to share first, what are your diagnoses uh, with, with the listeners? Sure. Um, so my official diagnoses are CPTSD and PTSD. Uh, two different flavors of the trauma variety. I think when I was younger, the doctors who saw me would call it generalized anxiety um, because it, it presented as that a lot before I was really aware of what trauma was and um, where those feelings were coming from, they mostly presented like anxiety, but the more that I got to know myself, the more that I got to understand my human experience thus far, uh, the more it was obvious that we were looking more at trauma. So I think the first time I got both of these diagnoses was about two years ago now. Um, and since then, I, I don't, since treating the trauma, I don't think I present as someone with generalized anxiety anymore. And um, I haven't heard that, that phrasing from anyone else since. So I really feel like it's more, sometimes CPTSD in particular can really look like that um, or feel like that at times when you're really having a flashback, actually. <laughs> How how has having the diagnoses changed how how you look at yourself and how how you're able to go about treating your trauma? That's a great question. Um, I think I think the the biggest piece for me. Well, I read I read the CPTSD handbook from from Pete Walker. Uh, called From Surviving to Thriving, I believe. And that 
was the first time I felt kind of seen in a way. And it's, I got, I was feeling seen through this diagnosis, like, okay, this is what it's like to be a person experiencing CPTSD. And just that, the feeling of being seen by this, this person who wrote this book, I mean, I never even met the guy. <laughs> but I remember feeling like almost like, oh my gosh, he really cares about me because I could tell that he understood me and through that reading that book I understood myself and really could could see and hear and understand myself in a way that it brought some compassion self-compassion to my life and and just having an understanding of what is happening um understanding what is happening when I'm having an emotional flashback and that it's real. <laughs> I mean, it changed everything. Um, because I think before then I'm just in this place of like something's I'm just too sensitive or I just can't handle life. And there's something just like wrong about me because nothing is happening in front of me that should make me feel this way. Therefore there's just something I'm just too, I'm too much. <laughs> you know, um, instead of what like learning about CBTSD taught me was, okay, something's not happening right now, but something like something really did happen to you. And this is real. It's just misplaced in time. And um, so the difference between the PTSD and the CBTSD for me is I might, and for CBTSD, I usually won't know. I won't know what happened to me. I won't see it in my like imagination. I won't see it in front of me. Um, but I, but I, instead I have come to lean on it. It did happen. Whatever it was, it happened. This feeling is real and it's coming up now out of time, out of place and time, but it did happen to me. What about you? I know that you, you're, you're in the process of reading or you started a little bit, the Pete Walker book. Um, but how, how has that changed how you experience things when you got your CPTSD diagnosis? Uh, so <laughs> ditto. It's a, it's a good question. It's, uh, it, very, very similar experience to yours. And I, I, before I answer, I just want to take a second to validate like how having the language really can reduce a lot of the blame that we carry throughout our lifetimes of not knowing what the heck's going on. And um, I'm like a part of me is like, I'm glad you have the words for it. And at the same time, I wish you didn't need to even look up those words and know what they are. And very, very similarly to, to your experience, I, I remember, and I, I, somewhere in here in my apartment, uh, the second therapist I had, at one point she recommended me to read a book called There's Nothing Wrong With You. Because mm-hmm. that had become the theme of my therapy sessions. Like, what is wrong? And similarly to you, it was like oh, it's the anxiety. Like, you have a lot of anxiety. And I, I, I couldn't take enough supplements for anxiety or take breathing exercises or do enough yoga to make this anxiety go away. I remember this theme of feeling like I was walking blindfolded through life and I could feel that something was wrong in my body and, and, and like the sensation was there, but I couldn't see what it was. And that's what finally hearing CPTSD did. It almost like removed the blindfolds and I was able to see like, oh, but of course, like, like, look at me, I'm surrounded by vines that are squeezing on me and pulling me down. Like, of course, I'm fucking hurting. But I couldn't see it before. Before, it almost seemed like everybody else was thriving and doing well and adapting and adjusting to life accordingly, except for me. And it's weird when the blindfolds come off because I look around and I see the other people also tangled up with vines but they have their blindfolds on and they have no idea what's going on and their bodies are showing all the damage too. And I can see it now. And it's like, Oh, so I'm not the only one struggling here. And when oh, I, yeah. when I hear and I meet and I experience 
talking to another fellow CPTSDer who knows they have it and who also sees their vines and are seeing the vines in like the ones that I have and the ones that the other people have like now I have this like sense of like oh I'm not only just like not alone in having the CPTSD but like there are other people that get it and they are as aware as I am which is powerful oh yeah I think that having you walk this journey with me for the last however long it's been (laughs) and being able to have we have a similar enough experience of life that as we share our lives together we are feeling more fully seen and heard as we're doing it our blindfolds are off in similar ways we can call it out for what it is as opposed to trying to connect with someone, like you said, with those blindfolds on and you try to point it out and they look at you like there's something wrong with you, like <laughs> you're crazy. And I've got a question for you about this. Yeah. Do you ever kind of get jealous of them a little bit? Like the not everyone, but the people who, let's say their version of like trauma makes them like overperform and they seem to have got like the outward life together and they have no clue that like Mm -hmm. they have CPTSD or like they have experienced trauma and they sort of are like la 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 walking around and it seems like they're performing well and and you kind of sometimes I kind of wish that I was ignorant a bit. Do you ever feel that way? Oh, that's such a a good question. I, wow. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's, it's, it's a mixed thing. I think sometimes a part of me when, when I, when I'm really in the thick of it and it's exhausting, a part of me does feel like sometimes it feels like it would be easier to go back mm-hmm. to that state. And I feel that. And also, um, I will say, and this is, this is more recent. This is like very, very recent. I, I also experienced this huge sense of pity for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if I see them around an abuser. Yeah. And like that, that is the point where like the pity will come on because a part of me is like, Wow. You really don't know. So you're not going to leave. You're not going to, even if you're staying, you're not going to look for the tools. And this person is being horrific and you're just smiling about it. And it, it mm-hmm. breaks my heart. But if, I, if it's not in my face, like I'm not yeah. actually seeing it real time, like how much it can hurt to be in the bliss. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, fuck, why am I, do- why am I doing this shit? <laughs> like, this feels awful. <laughs> Yeah, I think I have similar experiences. Like if I don't, usually they're like really, I mean, like a lot of people we're performing well in one avenue of our lives, but like not so well in another avenue. So if I see them in their, in, in their lane where they, they're doing really well and I can see that they don't, they don't see all that harder stuff. I'm like, gosh, wouldn't that be nice? But then all it takes is for me to see like, oh, this is what their personal life is and see what kind of danger they can be in that kind of takes that feeling away. But also here's the thing is like for myself, I would never want to like unremember. I would never want to like wave a wand and go back to not knowing what's going on with me. I mean, I would want to wave a wand, make it all go away (laughs) (laughs) and not have it. (laughs) But I, you know, if it was just in terms of knowing what's going on and doing the work, I, I don't think, I think I'm I'm way better off mm-hmm. having done so much work and knowing that the work is there to be done, um, and I and just watching you and your how you progressed in your life. I mean, it's it's been hard. It's been a hard year for both of us, but you know we've grown so much, and it's so much easier for me to see your growth, obviously, than my own. So I'm like. Well, of course she's doing worlds better having done all this work. I th- thank you for saying that because I, I feel like it's, um, I, I, it's harder for me to see my own growth. And I just like you, I can see yours a lot clearer than I can see mine. And that's one of the things that I love about 
being in friendship with someone who has CPTSD and is doing the healing journey because we see each other's blind spots a lot, oh, yeah. a lot easier than our own. <laughs> like oh, you'll, call, yeah. you'll call me on things, I'll call you on things. It's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I... I have to say, it, it it really, the magic wand, like, same. And and a part of me also, like, feels like I, I'm starting to get to a place, and I, I, for a very long time, I lived in a place of, like, I wanted, I wanted it to go away. How do I get to a place where I don't remember it anymore, I don't experience it anymore, I'm cured, quote-unquote. And now I'm I'm living more in a place of, like, I wouldn't be able to have these experiences. I wouldn't be able to connect to people in this way if I wouldn't have gone through this. So I I, I can, can see how it can also become something beautiful after the fact, even though it's, it's still it's still not pretty to look at. But yeah. it's like, well, and we can we can start transitioning into that. Like, I would have not met you. Had I not true. had I not done this this thing, like how would we like for for listeners here? We're we're on Zoom right now. We're not. <laughs> we don't live close by. <laughs> we're unfortunately. Few, unfortunately, it's correct. <laughs> I wish we did. I'd love to have coffee with you every fucking week and to see you even more than that if I could. But um, June and I are 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 quite quite a few miles away from from each other. And the way we met, uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> we met yeah. in a support group for survivors of narcissistic abuse and also survivors who have complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. And I mean, I just to, I just want to go back for a second and say, I don't think I'm where you are yet with wishing it wasn't gone but then you say we wouldn't have met and then I'm like okay well then I'll do the CPTSD thing (laughs) because it's been that impactful this friendship I'm so glad that we have it but yeah I I when I started looking for support groups I I don't even know that I knew they existed but I was like I'm just gonna type it in and see what happens and I was shocked to find there's not, it's not even just there's one, there's, there's several support groups out there. And, um, the one I met that we met on was the first one that I tried. (laughs) Actually, I like had a few lined up and I was like, actually, I think this one works for me. And I don't think I was going to the groups for very long before I met you or before you were also in the group. Um, and I'll never forget it because you started talking and it's, you know, it's Zoom. So there's all these little squares of people. And there's like, at the time, there was usually about like 20 people in the room, in the Zoom room. And this this person in this little square, you started talking. And I just felt this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I want to be her friend. <laughs> and, and everyone else was talking and I was relating and blah, blah, blah. But like, I was like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. And, and I was like, because I have had such issues with friendships in the past, because of my CPTSD, I was like, er, like, put on the brakes, slow down, maybe, you know, maybe this means that she's terrible, and she's gonna abuse you, and you should, you should not be friends with her, because we get so mixed up about signals and with the trauma bonding issues is sometimes we're attracted to the kinds of people who have hurt us in the past. And Mm -hmm. I know that about myself at this point. And so I'm like, okay, I got to go really, really slow. But that feeling, it it felt like a magnetism, like almost like, I mean, if we want to go there, like, like my soul recognized your soul or something. That was the feeling. I was just like, okay, we're, we belong together. (laughs) And I had to, because of the CPTSD and my awareness of it, take it really slow to make sure that it wasn't just a trauma bonding magnetism that I was feeling. Um, yeah, so I, I love thinking back to that moment, and I'm glad where it ended. <laughs> it was just that soul attraction. 
100%. And I think you're right. We both joined the group at the same time. So I, I remember when I started, you, you seemed like you were very fairly new into it too. And it's, it's interesting that, that you're talking about this because I, I similarly, like I <laughs> feel like when I'm interviewing people, like there's a lot of like, me too, me too. <laughs> but it's so mm-hmm. true. I remember like that was one of the things that I was recovering from when I started those groups. Like I, I came into those groups as a survivor of narcissistic abuse. And, and the way I found it was Ramani and one of her videos goes like, look for a support group. And I was like, I wonder if there's something online. And mm-hmm. there was. And I remember feeling like, I, I know what you mean by that feeling. Like you, you, hear, you hear people talking, but you don't feel that connection with every single person. And I remember being with you like, ah, oh, she gets it. She, she, she knows this stuff and, and your story was just so captivating and it resonated so much with me and, and your style. It was just like, I wanted basically like in the meetings that when, when the meetings start, one of the first things they tell us is you can connect with each other and there's a way that you can go about that connection, but give it time. I remember them saying like, you know, don't, don't start giving, you know, your number to everybody because, you know, what if the person doesn't turn out to be... Uh, reliable or someone that you actually want to be connected with. And I remember that was a big thing. It was hard to do because right off the bat from the first meetings, like I saw people like you and there were a few others and I was like, I want to give them my phone number like right now. And I had to like reel myself in and go, wait a second, right? So here we go. Like love bombing central starts this way. Slow it the F down. And I gave it months before I gave my number to anyone. And I remember uh, the way you and I finally like found our, our segue into like connecting one-on-one was the Patrick Tehan community. Like I remember throwing into this chat, like I'm thinking about the Patrick Tehan thing and I feel like I would have not done it. <laughs> I feel like I had the intention and I was probably gonna procrastinate for another like six months, but you jumped in and you're like, oh, if you join, I'll join with you and we can be like accountability buddies. And I was like, yeah. oh, can we join now? <laughs> yes, Here's yes. my number. So on my end, I'm like the whole time watching you in the groups and <laughs> you know I I don't I try to respect everyone's privacy of course in the groups but also you know I have a I have a husband and and I'm sharing with him my experience of the group so sometimes that bleeds into I'm hearing this story that really re- resonates and I would never you know match a, a name with a story or anything like that but um I'm telling him about you the whole time. I'm like, gosh, there's this woman in this group and I just, ah, oh, I just want to be your friend and blah, blah, blah. And the whole time I'm telling him my whole process and I'm like, I wonder how I can like hang out with her. Like, I wonder how, like, I, I, I wonder if I should just reach out or what should I do? And then you, you said, I'm thinking about doing this group and I'm like, that's how, that's how I'll do it. <laughs> like, this is a perfect opportunity low stakes for us to continue to get to know each other, but like one-on-one and for me to continue to assess. I think this relationship (laughs) between you and I has been the most careful one that I've ever had in terms of like really mindfully going slow. And I would go into conversations with you. And of course we related so much on the survivorship right? Of of course, we related so much on the CPTSD. I didn't want our relationship to only be that. And so I was really mindful going into our conversations of like, I would have a goal like to, I want to learn like one new thing about Risa. Like, you know, what, what kind of media is she into? You know, what kind of food or just just the what kind of comedy, you know, (laughs) you know, what, what, what things does she like to do and stuff like that. So that I think I, I, for the first time was being really careful about having standards for my friendships and being really careful of building a foundation of friendship on more than like trauma dumping, for example, or I've, I've built friendships on other things other than trauma dumping, but like a lot of times on one thing, they stand on one singular thing. 
Um, and I, and I really wanted, I really wanted to up my game, you know, and, and, and have a more, um, healthy, <laughs> healthy friendship. Um, which when you have CPTSD, that can be really hard to do. <laughs> yes. And I, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. As I think that like, we're, we're getting into laying the, the background for like what a healthy relationship can mm-hmm. look like and the things to look for in it. Cause I, and, and I, I'm going to circle back to that one thing about, you know, the importance of connecting with you too. And, and hearing you speak about how you wanted to get to know me because uh, this group, the, the support group that we were on, I was in it for a good, I want to say, I was probably well, not even six months, but like I was, I was a few months in when I became an organizer and I started facilitating meetings and I had held off a lot around the time when I was just a member with, in terms of providing my number. Once I became an organizer, it became even less likely that I would share my number so at this point, I was like, I kept thinking to myself, if I want to connect with June, is she just going to feel obligated to say yes? Because mm-hmm. if she doesn't say yes, she's going to feel like she can't come to the meetings anymore or something. Like, like that was in the back of my head. I was like, I don't want her to feel like she has to be my friend now just because I really like her and I've been waiting for months to like finally connect. And when, when we found that way in and we started connecting and I, I'm just, it's, it's, it's like, it's wild to hear you like from your end, because like in, in my mind, I was just terrified to connect. And like, is this person just feeling like they have to talk to me now? Like to hear you say, like, I wanted to get to know something about you. And I was excited to get to know you. It was like, I can, I can hear Patrick Tihan saying in the background, like, we're the last person who knows that we're interesting, cute, or, or whatever. Like, we don't realize that other people actually are seeing the potential in us and are actually, like, invested genuinely in getting to have a relationship with us. Like, part of me is like, I need to win over. Like, nobody's interested in winning mm-hmm. me over. Like, I want to win. O- like, I need to win everybody else over. I think I learned something new. I don't think I ever knew that about you, that you were, or at least I can't, I didn't remember that you were worried about me and that sort of power dynamic, perhaps with you being an organizer. And it's just another example of like how conscientious and kind you are about these sorts of things. It's like, you should be, this is the kind of leader that should exist in all, in all realms like business or groups or uh, organizers or whatever because gosh how important is that when you have a position of power to be aware of that and how that might affect other people you are consistently amazingly conscientious and kind and I'm just yeah really uh that's part of the gift that you bring to my life. So I, it doesn't surprise me, but it is something new that I had never heard. Meanwhile, I'm over here. I'm just like looking for my in and also hold myself back and like trying to take my time because yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that that idea of what you're talking about, that we feel like we have to win people over that we don't see our innate gifts or like what is attractive about us, like whatever kind of relationship, whether that's like friendship or whatever, that is a huge piece of what it's like to live day to day with CPTSD and trying to do relationships where we get to this place where I, 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 by the time I had met you, I had seen this pattern repeat out time and time again with my friendships where it's almost like I had zero standards. The only standard or the only standard I have was, do they want to spend time with me? If they wanted to be my friend, then, then I'm their friend, (laughs) you know, because it's almost like beggars can't be choosers or this, this feeling of, you know, I, I mean, a new person, I hope they like me and, oh, they like me. Great. We're friends, you know, and that led me to be friends with people who were not good friends to me (laughs) 
for a lot of different reasons. And I had seen that play out and play out and play out. And eventually they would do something bad enough that I would realize, oh, this has not been a good friendship since the start and I can't continue with this. But I, I didn't realize in the beginning, I could never see what was going on in the beginning. By the time I met you, I realized that about myself. And I was like, really working hard at not letting that happen again. <laughs> and so I think that's why I was at this place of being so slow and so careful about it. And I'm I'm glad I did because I think I, I, I learned a lot in the process and I now have an example for how it should feel, how it should look, you know, how, how, how taking it slow will not ruin it. It will not like, you know, if this is a person who you have, there's mutual interest and mutual respect and mutual kindness and you're getting to know each other and you're going to make great friends, you can take it slow. You can take it slow and they're not going to disappear because you guys are a good match, right? Um, I did not know that for, you know, 30 <laughs> years. I, oh my gosh, that's, <laughs> I almost like need a moment to let that sink in. Oh, I, hearing you talk about the standards, I, the, my, my standards were, were so low before our friendship. And sometimes they they still can that that low standard. The the head of that snake will peek in in my life still with new relationships, but the standard for me was, can they tolerate me? They don't even have to like mm. me if they can wow. tolerate me enough, to like let me like exist around them. I've made it. Like that was enough for me before. And to to try a new thing it meant not only slowing it down but paying attention and mm -hmm. i firstly I, thank you for the beautiful things you said about me so i'm i'm working on recognizing compliments and acknowledging <laughs> them and i just like Good job. <laughs> thank you <laughs> So I've, I've done this with you before. I'll just like either put myself down or like not acknowledge the thing and keep going. Um, one thing that I, I remember being intentional about in those support group meetings was how consistent is this person? Because from day one, from the moment you open your mouth in the support groups, I knew you got it. And I could see that you were, you were like me. It's like, she she's a survivor like me there's a lot of types of survivors i've come to learn that along the way like there are survivors that are very early in their healing and they're just starting to see the thing and we've been in that place there are survivors that go down the path of everybody else is at fault and it was everybody else and not me and i'm and and there's a stuckness in there there's, a, there's another flavor of survivors that sees what and whom and where and how this is starting to happen, but there's also an accountability and responsibility of like, I gotta do something with this now. Like this is now on me to do something, you know, to, to, to do something about this, to heal it and whatnot. And I, I feel, when, when I think about the different types of survivors, you're, you're, you're in that same camp with me. like we we can put the responsibility where it belongs and we also take responsibility and accountability for ourselves and i feel like that's Absolutely. how we both grow and as you kept coming to the groups like i was paying attention like are you what what is your share about is it just trauma dumping are you are you growing are you doing something is it like does it feel like it's a share that's just like a, a, a recycling cycle like it's just the same thing over and over and nothing else is happening or is it evolving is it changing is there an insight is there an mm -hmm. awareness there and one thing that i i mean there were so many things you did that <laughs> that, that sucked me in but one of the things that I loved about you was also seeing alongside with your journey as a, as a survivor recovering from your trauma, it was witnessing your role as a parent and 
the awareness you have as a parent, the how conscientious you are as a parent. Like your and I I've, I've been to your home at this point. So I I've 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 seen I've seen the system <laughs> as a whole functioning together for a few days and it's it's funny cuz I, I we're not going to do the video for this with this interview, but I can see on the on the Zoom the room where I was staying, <laughs> like the door. <laughs> yeah. This is your room right here. Yeah. <laughs> Rice's room. I just put your name on it. It's waiting for you next time. <laughs> yeah, I love that room. I I got to see the whole system play out. And your household is a, is, is a house that is centered around the children, not the other way around. I've seen the other way around. I've been in the other way around for, for how many years? And I, and I just, I feel like culturally speaking, like that's, that's usually how it is. Like this is a house where children just happen to live here <laughs> as opposed to a, a house where children live here. And, and this home is, is for the children. And you and your husband are both committed and dedicated to prevent as much of the trauma from trickling down to the kids. And there's so much you can do. There's stuff that I, I know there's stuff that comes down that's just inevitably going to come down. But if there's anybody who's going to prevent the majority from that trickling to come down, I mean, it's, it's, it's you and your husband hands down. Gosh. Thank you, Raisa. I it means so much coming from you. And I don't think there's anyone who has complimented me and our family and our parenting as much as you and I don't think it would come off as gen- genuine enough from anyone else because I I know I know how clear your vision is. You know, I know, I know that you see it and I know that you would probably tell me if something was off too, and <laughs> which I appreciate. Um, it means so much to me. And I'm glad that you brought up my kids because I've just been thinking about little Raisa as you're speaking. Mm-hmm. When you said just for that, my standard for friendship is that do or relationship. My standard for relationship is do they tolerate me? Mm-hmm. And I just heard Lil Risa in that. And it made me cry a little bit. And I just, I know that if you were my child, I would have have had so much fun with you and you were such a cool kid. And, you know, no one, no child should, should feel like there's something that needs to be tolerated. And yet I know that that's kind of the default culturally especially around the time we were we were brought up and definitely in certain subcultures too but this feeling of like children are just to be like an annoyance to be tolerated and we don't we don't bring anything we just we're drain we're a pain in the ass a brat or whatever and and we're just lucky that they tolerate us and I'm just so sorry that you were treated that way because that's why you feel this way mm-hmm. because you were treated that way and they got it so wrong and they missed out on such a gift of a child by like turning it into a problem. The fact that you were a child mm-hmm. and I just, it's devastating. <laughs> it's devastating um, that you had to experience a childhood like that. And then also that, that you carry that feeling and uh and in such a visceral way and you were just I I mean we we've spent so much time together <laughs> virtually and then having you here in person you you're just such a joy to be around like there's no level of like going to tolerate you know what I mean it's just enjoying just enjoying your presence and I hope that you continue to pick people who reflect that back to you Mm. that they are just can't wait to hang out with you you know (laughs) and then like the people who you know make other people would make you into a problem they just they don't deserve you honestly oh my gosh lady (laughs) 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 (laughs)
that conditioning. And you add on to the part, you know, to that, the part that it's not like you've been healing in this way for that entire marriage. Like this, you've been married for a period of time when that wasn't even happening. And now you're doing this healing and it's, again, a little drop in the bucket. But that, and that drop counts. It absolutely does. Yet it's going to take time for more to come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, um, it brings to mind how, how long this healing journey can be. But I, I think also a lot of that is a lot of times we're healing, we're trying to heal the wrong thing. We're like working on, we think we're working on it, but we're like, oh, I'm just going to take care of my generalized anxiety over here. Or I'm going to take care of, like for me, I would do it through like some spiritual practice. I'm like, I'll just get rid of my ego and then I, then I'll be like enlightened or some shit. Like, I don't know. All right. And it's like, it, it takes a long time to be able to see yourself clearly enough and to see your history clearly enough to be able to really actually like find the disease you know what I mean find target where it is what's actually going on and then you can really start undoing the the actual source of the of the issue so you're absolutely right I thought I was working on it for 15 years like I thought I was in and I and I was in a part of the process I guess part of the process is doing the wrong thing and healing the wrong thing perhaps but I I you know it was only recently that I was able to I I knew I had CPTSD I knew I had PTSD and said okay now how do you treat that um and that's been the hardest part of it the hardest work is there but it actually has yielded results which is fantastic um so yeah i i i again i i feel the same way i wish i wish you didn't know what this was like but i'm glad that we at least have each other you know ditto and i this is a, a good way to segue into one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, which is healing relational trauma in friendships. Because you, you've been married for more than a minute now. You have a, you have a family. And I, I'm on the other end of that. I'm, I'm single. I don't have any kids. And I've never been married. And when I started this process, I, I started it with this goal of I need to heal enough so I can finally found a partner so I can then start really doing the healing work because it happens in a romantic relationship. Like in my mind, having that intimate relationship with a partner was the only way to heal relational trauma. And I think part of the reason I thought that was because I know a lot of my previous toxicity and my trauma like really gets aggravated in intimate relationships. So a part of me just like put two and two together. And I, one of the beautiful things I've, I've received from our friendship is learning that I don't have to be with a partner to heal relational trauma. I can heal relational trauma in any relationship, including friendships. And that's what I have found in our friendship. I've healed so much through this. How, how has this friendship or how has having this friendship helped you heal relational trauma yeah that's a big one um i i can see your perspective on on and like why you thought well i have to do this in romantic partnership that has not been my experience with my husband um it i would say only recently as in like within months have we been actually doing relational trauma healing? <laughs> um, meaning like my healing journey is blending with his healing journey into the relationship. We've definitely been doing our own work, like side by side, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it's, I mean, it's been a long time. So a lot of it's just been sort of ignoring our... <laughs> stuff side by side too um so anyway I and and for me because I've 
you know, I, I, I didn't do that much dating. I got married young, you know. A lot of my dysfunction, a lot of my CPTS flare-up in relationships has been with friends. That's That's been the trouble for me. That's been my big my big trouble is <laughs> like, why does this keep happening over? And I hear that from people who are, who are dating. Like I get in the relationship with the same person over and over again, it feels like, or I play out the same pattern. And why are they all, always cheating on me? Every guy cheats on me or every guy, whatever. I feel like that's been happening to me with my relationships and specifically with women for whatever reason. And um, so I've seen myself, I got to this place of realizing my pattern. So my pattern was I meet someone who can tolerate me, right? Who seems interested in me. And then I would kind of get, uh, I would see them through rose colored glasses for a long time. Like I would think they were amazing and I would pick out these little like breadcrumbs of like why we should be in a relationship. And I would just like go head first into it. And then my husband, who <laughs> I guess he has a better gut on him than me or like for this particular area, he would secretly be hating this person. And I, I for you, I would not know that until because he would never want to keep me from someone I was like interested in and having fun with. So he wasn't going to say, I hate your friend, whatever. <laughs> but I would I would spend a lot of time with this person and I would literally not let myself register when they were putting me down or register when it wasn't reciprocal at all and I was putting forth way more than they were and I wouldn't I wouldn't register things that even I would have I had some fresh friendships that were sexually off mm. when they were like hitting on me in strange ways that I I like wouldn't even like pick up and notice mm -hmm. and then after a certain amount of time of of working really hard at this relationship that's not working they would do something that would cross some sort of line for me. And then all of a sudden it was like the cards fell or the, and I could see every single, I could see it all in retrospect. I could see the put downs. I could see the lack of reciprocity. And so then it made it so it was unrepairable, mm -hmm. which made me really fear conflict, right? Like, because that one time we have conflict, all of a sudden I'm going to see like a history of all these horrible things that have happened or not, maybe not horrible, but like all these things that if I had been able to see them, I could have addressed them at the time or I could have adjusted and not become friends with them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, so the whole relationship falls apart and then I don't have a friends and then it starts all over again. I meet another woman and here we go again. And my husband at the end would tell me I never liked them. I always hated them. <laughs> and I've got, I got to this place more recently where I'm like, you got to tell me ahead of time. If you get a bad feeling, I want to know because you're always right. Like always right. So I started checking in with him a few years ago at least about my friends. But when I, when I had this big, I had a big awakening about the narcissistic abuse that led to a huge portion of my CPTSD. Mm -hmm. And it led me to do a lot of resourcing and I got a great therapist and I got into the support group and everything. And then I meet you and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to let this happen again. I'm not going to let this pattern play out. And um, I was counting green flags with you. Mm. I was trying to be super hyper aware, make sure I'm not missing anything, make sure Oh, how does my body feel when I'm around this person? And it led into a positive relationship. And it it led to a relationship that was built on, on more than just that she tolerates me. But like, oh, we share this interest. And um, we laugh so much when we're together. Um, and it, it made, I think, I think having standards and having green flags I'm looking for made it so that I I knew even what a friendship was in the first place <laughs> and that it could exist the fact that I found you was like okay I don't have crazy ridiculous standards for a friendship I have reasonable standards and people meet that and here's a great person uh, I <laughs> so many things I, 
I want to highlight this this concept of like the best way I can put it is I feel delighted in hanging out with you. I feel delighted in having you in my life. Like when you want to hang out, like I I know the feeling like of when a toxic person reaches out and they want to connect with me and I feel in my body that, oh, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to answer the call. I don't want to answer the text. Like my whole body just goes on panic mode. And I never feel that way when you text. There's this level of excitement like, <gasps> June is texting me. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> And you want to connect on someone like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I am just excited and looking forward to it. And I remember this. This is one of those things where, like, it, it was a beautiful thing that happened. And at the beginning, I had to, like, figure out um, what it was. Because when we started connecting one-on-one, -on -one, we would talk for a long time. We were doing, like, I want to say, like, an hour and a half to three hours talking. And... Sometimes, like, for me, like, that long conversation, that's something I'm just, like, used to in previous relationships that were toxic. And I remember at one point I was like, oh, wait, we're talking for so long. Is that a bad sign? But then I'm, like, checking it with my body. But I feel good after. Mm -hmm. and, I, and one thing that I've learned with you is I feel energized. There's a level of, like, a boost of energy that I feel after we're done talking. Like, I... Even even if we're, we're talking so long to the point where I'm technically exhausted because it's like late and my body needs to rest, it's not the same. Like being tired just because I'm tired is not the same as my body being emotionally exhausted because that that feeling comes, I feel like what, what I've noticed is that feeling comes when it's a relationship that's literally sucking me dry, like energy vampire. I'm giving, giving, giving empathy and giving validation and giving all these things and I'm barely getting like a few drops back. Like with you is sometimes I like it, like you flip the switch a little bit, like the script and I'm like, oh gosh, did I validate enough? Like <laughs> they're so spot on. Like did I do it enough to like, you know, reciprocate because I'm used to being the one giving, giving, giving. I'm not used to getting. So sometimes I, like it throws me off when you're giving me <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that I'm used to see, like, it go the other way. And it's, it really is eye-opening to be able to feel like I can be myself and nobody's going, you're too dramatic or you're too this or you're too that. And... I... All right, survivors, how are you feeling so far? I hope you have enjoyed part one of this conversation. I invite you to come back next week for part two, where June and I talk about the challenges of conflict and how important healthy conflict is not only for creating intimacy, but also healing relational trauma. June and I will reflect on how, as survivors, we sometimes overcorrect in our attempts to not be like our abusers. Also, we will talk about the importance of healing our relationship with our bodies and inner intuition. In this week's healing invitation, I want to offer you a few things to reflect about. I invite you to think about the first part of this interview so far. Next, think about your friends. If you are able Make a list of your current friends and acquaintances you are frequently interacting with these days. Really think about the people you are putting on your list and about the most recent interaction you've had with them. This list will be extremely helpful for next week's healing invitation that June helped me craft. You are so welcome to tune in next week to find out the next step of this healing invitation. Of course, the list is not a requirement for you to come back next week. Please let me know how this week's healing invitation goes if you choose to accept it. Before we wrap up this episode, all music and production is courtesy of yours truly. Also, I want to share a few ways you can help support this podcast. You can subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, 
or the platform you are using to listen. Share this episode with anyone you can think can benefit from this content. Follow Hello Trauma Brain on Instagram with the handle at Hello Trauma Brain. Subscribe to the Hello Trauma Brain YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to be the first to know when I post a new episode. And you can make a donation by getting me a coffee through the official bio site. No worries. All links will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for joining me and June today. We hope you found this episode helpful. I can't wait to have you back and share with you part two of this interview with June next week. I wish you the best as you navigate creating healthy and healing friendships. It is time for our farewell affirmations. You are welcome to repeat after me. I am enough. I am lovable. And I deserve to heal. I wish you a gentle week and thank you for listening.